There we go. Okay, that's better. That's better, guys. Um, so we're going to get right into it. For those of you who are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. What we do is, is we spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture, and then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on the scriptures. I've got nothing planned, nothing intended, simply to commit this time to hearing from God and to simply reflect on it. This is a meditational reading. This isn't necessarily a Bible study, but it's a meditational reading. And for most of you who've been here from the beginning, this has been a journey throughout the totality of the scripture. We're reading the entire Bible. We've read through now the entire um, New Testament, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. Um, and, and, and I've posted them on, on our podcast. It's the Read and Rant podcast. And so I hope that you guys can go and check it out. If you, this is your first time here and you're wondering, man, I've always been intimidated by reading through the Bible. It's always been an intimidating thing for me. Well, I'm showing you how just 20 to 30 minutes a day will get you through a lot of scripture. And so this is really more about exposing you through to the, to the entire scripture than it is about a, a Bible study, you know, where we're, we're, we're studying in detail, or, you know, different elements and portions of scripture, different themes of scripture. Um, and so that's what I, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to commit this time to journey with you in the reading of the word. And this is part of my daily rhythm. So you guys have an opportunity to eavesdrop on my daily rhythm. Um, this has been transformative for many of you. There are a lot of you here who have said this has been life changing for you because now you're getting a bigger picture of what the Bible is all about and the purpose of the scripture. And that for many of you, this has been just an awakening where it's, well, I've thought of the Bible as this way. Now I'm realizing that the Bible is so much more. And so I'm really encouraged by that. For those of you who've been blessed by this ministry, I'm grateful for you for committing to being a patron. Um, we, have, we have a Patreon. So if you guys are interested in supporting in any way, I'd encourage you to click the link in my bio and then click become a patron. And you can become a patron. And it's great because that's a more close-knit community. And so I'm able to like have conversations with my patrons more than anything else because that's family and so i just you know I'm, I'm i'm grateful for you guys for supporting and even though you may feel like your support is not a big deal it is a huge deal and i'm grateful for that so thank you so much and what i'm excited about as well is that we've reached a patron mark we've reached a patron goal where uh we're going to be hosting bible study so i'm going to be doing a live host hosted bible study with the patrons as well and so get ready because you're going to get a poll that's going to, uh, uh, so you guys can decide and vote on which one of the three topics I have in mind to teach. And so um, I'm looking forward to spending more time teaching in, in, in more depth, um, teaching the scriptures in more depth. So anyway, super excited about that. Um, but if you are interested in just connecting with us, of course, you can connect on IG, you can connect on TikTok, and you can also download the Read and Ramp podcast, which is free. It's completely free. And so um, you can download the Reading Rant podcast. We are edging closer and closer to the 20,000 subscribers. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible how the Lord is moving through that. But we're going to get right into it, guys. We're going to get right into the reading of the word. That's the whole reason why we're here. And we are in 1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to pray. And this is what we're going to pray. And when, we, when we read and meditate on the scriptures, we're praying, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Lord, what are you revealing concerning people and then the third question that we're going to ask is lord what are you revealing concerning me what are you revealing concerning me these are the questions that i'll be asking as i read and i pray that you'll be asking these questions as well and allow the holy spirit to convict you allow the holy spirit to encourage you allow the holy spirit to speak to you father we ask as we've come together today lord let us be washed by your word father i just pray that we would read your word and receive revelation, that we would receive clarity, that we, re that we would receive insight. Father, I just pray that you would bless this time as we come together, Lord. Lead us, guide us in your word. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. First Kings chapter 16, starting with the first verse. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Anani, against Basha, saying, and as much as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins. Surely I will take away the posterity of Basha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. 
The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Basha and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Now the rest of the acts of Basha, what he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Basha rested with his fathers and was buried in Terzah. Then Ella, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Anani, against Basha and his house, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord and provoking him to anger with the work of his hands in being like the house of Jeroboam and because he killed them. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ella, the son of Basha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Terzah. And his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Terzah. And Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the seventy-seventh year of, sorry, in the twenty-seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Then it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, that he killed all the household of Basha, and he did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor his friends. Thus, Zimri destroyed all the household of Basha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Basha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Basha and the sins of Ella his son by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord of ang sorry pr provoking the Lord of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of Ella and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Hmm. In the twenty seventh year of Asa of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Terzah seven days. And the people were encamped between Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it said, Zimri has conspired, also has killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Then Omri and all of Israel with him went up to Gibbethon, and they besieged Terzah. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel, of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he had committed to make Israel sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles in Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath. So Tibni died, and Omni reigned. In the 35th year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terzah, and he found the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria, after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. Omri did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omni, so Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him, to walk in the sins of Jehovah the son of Nebat, that he took his wife Jezebel, and the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and worshipped Baal, sorry, served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal. 
in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segob. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and the bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And she was going to get it. He called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that I may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards make some for yourself and your son, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away. And did according to the word of Elijah, she and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoken to Elijah. Now it happened after these days, but the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Now the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had Obadiah who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was when Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And he had said to Obadiah, Go into the land <clears throat> to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass 
to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now Obadiah was on his way. Suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him and said, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, let no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when you and when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? Hmm. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today so Obadiah went to Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him is that you O troubler of Israel and he answered I have not troubled Israel but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went and sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went to all the people and said, How long will, your will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I'll prepare another bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull, which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping, or must be awakened, and must be awakened. So they cried out and cut themselves, as was their custom with knives and lances until blush gut out gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all that the people came near to him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Then Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar on, in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar long enough to hold two seals of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. 
and they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So, so the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to Brook, Brook Kishon and executed them there. Man, that's some going stuff. Some going stuff. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink. For there is the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked again. There's nothing. And seven times he again said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance in Jezreel. Chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said it is enough now lord take my life for i am no better than my father's then as he as he lay and slept under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched him and said arise and eat and he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water so he ate and he drank and laid down again and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent a night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, as you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing a 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Sorry. I'm going to read it again. I just got a phone call. Let me read it back again. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elisha passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took the yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elisha and became his servant. The word of God. The audio is gone. I got a phone call, so that might have cut the audio. Um, and let me let me get out, and then I'm going to come back in. I'm going to get out, and I'm going to come back in for my IG folks uh, real quick. Father, speak to us in this time. Well, just speak to us in this time. We, we want to hear from you today, Lord. We want to hear from you. Um, looks like my IG people are having some difficulties. I got a phone call, which is what stopped me. And in, in having that phone call, it cut off the audio. So I hope I can get them back in again, hopefully. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. If not, we're going to continue on and we're going to press into this. Um, I, this is a difficult part of the, of, of the scripture for me um, to reflect on. And the reason why it's a difficult part to reflect on is because there is so much there. <laughs> um, there's just so much in this text there. There are stories for weeks. There are stories for months. There, if you're a preacher, these these four chapters that we've read here, they give you material for four months, at least half a year. Forget four months, at least half a year. You get half a year of material. Um, it, it, it's just there's just so many powerful stories that we see here. And so many teachable moments in these stories that make sometimes this particular portion of text difficult. Because, of course, we're, we're trying to hear from God. We want to hear from God about what God is saying. And we want to hear from God about, you know, um, what are you revealing to us today? And so I think where it's challenging, there's also an invitation. And the invitation is to something greater. It's not just to what you're simply familiar with, but for the Lord to reveal something to you that is unfamiliar. If you've been here with us from the beginning, and I hope I got um, the IG working now with the IG fam. If not, we'll keep moving, but I hope I got it working for you guys again. But if you are familiar with our time in reading as we've been reading through this, what I'm hoping to draw attention to you too is that the scripture as it's being written, as we see the scripture being codified, it's being written 
as a means to articulate a story. The Bible is not a book of rules. The Bible is actually a story. Um, in the story, there are rules written to a particular people, but it is a story. The, the Bible is not just a story, but it's a story about a people, about a people who God has set aside and called aside to bring reconciliation to all humanity, to all mankind. It is a story. And so when we read it as a story, then we see how the story has many stories within it. The story has many narratives within it. There are many things that are being communicated within it. There are many things that are being told within the story. And yet all the stories are subplots to the bigger story. But the subplots in many ways contribute to the big story. It's like any good storyteller. Any good storyteller, when they give you subplots to the story, the subplots that are in the story contribute in some way to the whole purpose and the point of the story. And so the many stories that we see here have many subplots in it. There are subplots and, and there's so much to teach and to learn and to instruct about the subplots. But the grander narrative and the grander story has been about the kingdom. From the beginning of all time, it's been about the kingdom. God has always been about the kingdom. And if you notice, even when we get to Jesus, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, what we're familiar, um, what we know what many of us are familiar to as the Lord's prayer is when, when, when Jesus says your kingdom come, he says in that, in that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has always been in the business of establishing his kingdom on earth. God intends to rule the earth and he intends to rule the earth with human collaboration and human participation. Humanity dictates the destiny of the earth through and under the authority of God, through and under the authority of God. It's always been about the kingdom and God has always been about the kingdom. If God has been about the kingdom, remember what he told Adam and Eve from Genesis. He said, he said, let us make man in our image. Then he says in Genesis chapter one, let them have dominion. The word dominion there is the word rule. He says, let them rule. There is no ruling without a kingdom. And so he's calling them to be rulers, that is governors of the kingdom of God. It's always been about the kingdom. It's always been about the kingdom. And who rules on top of that is God. God is ruling through humanity. The moment that humanity breaks from God's rule, God's rule is compromised and therefore God has to separate from humanity. This is what sin does. Sin separates us from God. God is looking to restore his righteousness and justice on the earth. Side note, anything that is broken on the earth, anything that is wrong on the earth, disease, pestilence, COVID, all of that comes from mankind's deviation from God's rule. God intended to rule the earth. And now, as man has separated from God at the beginning of humanity, God is now restoring his rule in his collaboration and participation with humanity. God's kingdom is coming. He's establishing his kingdom. This is the anticipation. This is what the story is about. This is what the scripture is about. It's about the righteousness of God. It's about the justice of God. It's about God making all things right. It's about God making all things new and God doing it in participation and collaboration with humanity. God, God makes this promise through humanity from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. Notice he's doing it through a story of a people. But then we get to Judges. You guys have been journeying with us from the beginning. But then we get to Judges. And at the book of Judges, we see Israel now deviating from God, deviating from the covenant, deviating from God's command to be separate, deviating from what God is calling them to do, setting them aside to do what he called them to do at Mount Sinai in Exodus. From Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy, God has been cultivating and shaping these people out to be a unique people. The word there is holy. Holy literally means to be unique, to be separate, to be set apart, to be different. Notice holy does not mean perfect. Holy means to be separate. God is holy and he's also perfect. Another side note, 
another conversation for another day. God is holy, meaning there's nothing like him, but God is perfect in that he cannot do anything that is wrong because he's the one that determines what is right and what is wrong. And now he calls these people to be holy. Holiness is not about how you dress. It's not about how you look. It's not about what you say. No, no, no. Holiness is not about activity. Holiness is about distinctness. And he set them apart and set them aside and made them distinct from everyone else. They lived a distinct life as a result of their holiness. But what happens in Judges is that we see that now that they've subdued the land in Joshua and they've come into this land to be this nation to show the kingdom of God, to reveal the kingdom of God to the rest of the world, what happens is, is that they, became, they become influenced by the people who are around them. They become influenced by the world, influenced by, um, um, by culture, by society, by the prevailing culture that is around them. Rather than coming into Canaan and bringing God's kingdom to Canaan, they came into Canaan and allowed Canaan to infect them, to infiltrate them, and allowed Canaan now to be what they were. Instead of being an Israelite nation, they became a Canaanite nation. They were influenced by the gods of Canaan. And so for that reason, we see what happens. They fall into precipitous decline. But Judges ends with this verse. It's the last verse in the book of Judges. It says that there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own heart. Going back now to Genesis, this was always the problem from the beginning, is that mankind always wants to live their truth, do what is right in their eyes, do what they feel is right, not really even submitting or with any kind of sensitivity to what the will of God is for them. Forget what God says about what I am or what God says about who I am, or what God is calling me to be or what God is calling me to do. Forget about any of that. I want to live my truth. I want to live my life, do things what is what is right to me. You know, we live in a society today in a day and age where people do what they feel is right. Now, what is right and what is wrong has nothing to do with the character of God. What is right and what is wrong has to do with what you feel and how you feel. There's no regard. That's exactly right. There's no regard to God's will. There's no regard to God's purpose. There's no regard to what God wants for you. No, no, what feels good. That's what's right. What feels good. What feels right. What, what, what feels appropriate to me. If it doesn't feel right, then it can't be right. And that's the issue is that now people have made their emotions king rather than making Jesus king rather than making God king. And yet God, who's establishing his kingdom on earth, I know I'm going fast here, but God, who's establishing his kingdom on earth, cannot establish his kingdom on earth without first establishing his kingdom in his people's hearts. He's establishing first his kingdom in his people's hearts. And by consequence, when God's kingdom rests in your heart, then God's kingdom can emanate out of you and go to the rest of the world. God is in the business of establishing his kingdom. He's in the business of establishing his kingdom. His kingdom is not in the church, in church buildings. His kingdom is in your heart. His kingdom is not in, it's not this, 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 this floating idea, this, this thing that's just so obtuse and so hard to touch. No, his kingdom is literally his will and his rule. That's why Jesus said, your kingdom come and your will be done. God's will. And God was very clear about what his will is. He speaks about it in his scripture. He speaks about it in the text. He wants to bring righteousness and justice to the earth. He wants to make everything right again on the earth. He wants to bring restoration to the earth. Notice that God's not looking to pull us out of the earth to take us up into heaven, but God wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants to restore and establish the earth. People are trying to wait to go to heaven when God is waiting to bring heaven to earth. It's his kingdom, it's his kingdom. And so Judges ends with there's, there's no king in Israel. Everyone's doing what is right in his own eyes. And then we had Saul, who was the king that they chose, not the king that God chose. We saw what happened there. And then finally David, who is the king after God's own heart, who was confirmed in the book of Ruth. When we see the story of the book of Ruth confirming the, the lineage that David is a partaker of, in a part in a part of that the king as it was promised in second samuel chapter 7 that there is a king to come who will rule and make things right and bring righteousness and justice on the earth 
Right now, we know what Canaanite government looks like. Canaanite government is about economics. Canaanite government is about power. Canaanite government is about influence. Canaanite government is about military might. Canaanite government is about sexuality. Canaanite government is about all these things, and yet God's rule looks fundamentally different than everybody else's. All those things, the things that govern those things, those things are governed by Canaan. And so God isn't playing around with his children. He wants to establish a king. And so now there's a tension. Now that, now that Samuel is, the book of Samuel leaves us in a tension and we get to David and we feel like there's a resolution. Oh, maybe David's the king. David is the king. The children of Israel were, were thinking this. Maybe David is the king that God has called to bring this righteousness and justice, to bring restoration to all things. Maybe David is this guy. But we learn very quickly David is no hero. Oh, yeah, David was called. He was set aside, but it wouldn't be David. It would come from David. Well, maybe Solomon is that guy. Ah, but then we learn while God gave Solomon incredible wealth and incredible wisdom, Solomon ended up looking like Canaan at the end of his life. So Solomon wasn't that guy. Maybe it was Rehoboam. No, it can't be Rehoboam because we just read in earlier in First Kings that Rehoboam, that, that there was already a curse that was proclaimed on Solomon for his sin against God, for becoming like Canaan, for looking like Pharaoh, for looking like everybody else, for not bringing the righteousness of God, for not following God's covenant, for not being obedient to God's law, for marrying and intermarrying with Canaan, with everybody. So, so, so it's not Solomon. And because not Solomon, Solomon was told that the, that the nation would be split. Israel wouldn't even be together as a result of Solomon's sin. Israel is now split to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Rehoboam gets a southern kingdom, but Rehoboam looks a lot like Solomon. It's not Rehoboam. Maybe it's Jeroboam because Jeroboam came from, from um, Absalom. But we know what happened between Absalom and David. Man, this is messy. Oh, no, it's not, it's not Jeroboam either. And then as we read from 15 to 16 to 17 to 18, and now we just read through 19, what I hope that you guys are seeing is a pattern. It's not that king. It's not that king. It's not that king. It's not that king. And then I love how it tells us why it's not that king. It's not Abijam. It's not Asa. It's not, you know, it's not Abijam. It's not Asa. It's not Nadab. It's not Basha. We just started reading today on Basha. It's not Basha. It's not Ella. It's not Zimri. It's not Omri. It's not Ahab. <laughs> we, 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 we see it's not, it's not Ahab. And you're going to start noticing By the time we're done with, with, with first Kings and second Kings, what you're going to notice is it's not any of those Kings. The one who would bring righteousness and justice. It's not any of them. That's the whole purpose of the book of Kings. The whole purpose of the book of Kings is to communicate to us what the children of Israel we're anticipating, and yet it wasn't any of them. And he goes and he speaks on why it wasn't any of them, because all of them did one thing. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Ready for this? People have defined evil by doing bad things. You know, we think of evil, we think of murder. Or we think of, um, we think of economic uh, oppression. When we think of evil, we think of slavery. When we think of evil, we think of sex trafficking. When we think of evil, we think of human trafficking. When we think of evil, we, we th that's what we think of when we think of evil. And they did all of that. This is the evil that they spoke of. It's the same thing we see in Solomon. Solomon. 
he supported slavery, and because of that, he fell into evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. All that is evil. Not, not, not contesting that. But that's not what we see here when we talk about evil. Evil and wickedness is any deviation from the justice of God. Evil is any deviation. That means you can do something that's good, but if you compromise the mission of God, it's evil. And that's why when the scriptures, we, we've been reading it over, and it almost sounds like a broken record, that when we've been reading this over and over again, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and thus Israel did evil. How is that possible? Because the leader represents the nation in executing the justice of God. If God's law, God's justice, God making things right, if God's making things right is God's mission, and he's called this nation to be the nation of priests to bring God's righteousness and justice to the earth, to reconcile all nation and all people and all mankind to him. If that's what he's calling them to do, any deviation from that is evil. That's what God means by evil. You're not doing what I called you to do. The very problem and the issue that Adam had at the garden. And so, yes, they did evil. And because the kings did evil, the nation did evil. Because the nation is following the policy of the king. If the king's policy is not the righteousness and justice of God, then the nation's policy has deviated from the righteousness and justice of God. It's not those kings. And so what the Lord does is, is that he calls prophets. He calls prophets. And this is where I want to begin to help you understand, because we have been mistaught about the prophets. Oh my goodness, I only have 12 minutes. I gotta, I gotta run. I gotta do this quick. We have the prophets all wrong. We have made prophets Christian psychics. We have turned prophets into Christian mediums. We think that prophets are there to speak about, you know, our futures and to tell us about, you know, um, <laughs> Tell me what's going on in my mind. What am I thinking right now? And so because we have this unbiblical perspective of the prophet, we have turned a lot of our churches into circuses. I'm sorry. I'm going to make some people uncomfortable. But I've got to speak into it. There are some clown shows in the church. And I say this with incredible passion. Where people come to church to get a word from God. Not understanding that the prophet exists because the people chose not to hear from God directly. Many can argue theologically that the first prophet was Moses. And yet Moses only became the prophet because the people said, speak to him and let him tell us what you have to say. The prophet, wherever the prophet is, while the prophet can edify the body, the prophet exists because the people have chosen not to hear from God themselves. There's nothing that the prophet has heard from God concerning you that you cannot hear from God about. And yet rather than choosing to repent and choosing to be in relationship with God, you would rather get a word from a prophet. So you know what we do? We line up in lines. 
with money in our pockets and we pay a prophet to give us a word from the Lord. And we wonder why we still stay in bondage as a church. When that was never the purpose of the prophet, the prophet, the purpose of the prophet was not to speak about if God's going to bless you with a new job next week. How dare you insult the office of the prophet? And how dare those who have revelation and, and insight reduce the office of the prophet to spiritual soothsaying? How dare you? Even those who've been gifted. That's why psychics can get revelation because revelation can come in the realm of the spirit. Just because somebody speaks truth to you and speaks and reveals to you a truth does not mean that they're a prophet of God. Did you forget that in, in, in 1 Samuel, that Saul went to a medium to conjure up the spirit of Samuel to get revelation because he needed to speak to Samuel? Yes, they have spiritual insight and information, and yet that spiritual insight and information doesn't bring you to Jesus. What it brings you to is to yourself, and that is the lie and the rules of the enemy. The greatest influence that the enemy can have on the church is to make people dependent on the prophet to give them information only for their glory and their pleasure. It's funny because there are wolves in sheep's clothing right now in the church who get spiritual revelation that did not come from God, simply came from the realm of the spirit, even through demonic forces. And because they get that revelation when they come, everybody goes, oh my gosh, he must hear from God. I must follow him when the reality is, is we were not called to follow a prophet. We were called to be followers of Jesus Christ. There are so many have been deceived by people who use the title prophet. We've made prophet a title. Prophet so-and-so. When I look at the text, the prophet is not a title or a distinction. The prophet is an office that is held by an individual. And if you really understand the scripture, you'll understand what the primary role of the prophet was. The primary role of the prophet was not to be your spiritual fortune teller. The primary role of the prophet was to convict you of the promise, the will, and the justice of God. With every one of these men, there was a prophet who came to convict them because God called them to speak the word of God, to protect and to preserve the covenant of God and the promise of God, and the rule of God. And so the prophet would say things that the kings would not want to hear. Prophets will say more about what you don't want to hear than what you want to hear. Prophecy is not telling you the future. That is not prophecy. Prophecy is actually speaking into the present. Oh, wow, this is going to be tough. Prophecy is speaking the truth of God into your present moment to bring conviction and revelation to bring you to Jesus Christ. That is the office of the prophet. That is what the prophet ought to do. If the prophet has you thinking about tomorrow, the prophet's got you all wrong. The prophet has you thinking about today and the implications of today with what God's will is in your life. And so with every one of these men who deviated from the will of God, there was a prophet who came to convict them. One that comes to our attention is Ahab. He was not that king either. Ahab was more evil than all of them. But Ahab's evil rested in his compromise. He compromised and married this woman named Jezebel the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And notice, the moment he does evil, who does God call? A prophet. Calls Elijah. Elijah calls him out. And upon calling him out, he comes after Elijah because for some reason, 
they think that if you kill the prophet, you will kill the word of God. You cannot kill the word of God if you kill the prophet. The prophet's coming to convict. God's justice doesn't change. I'm going to speak more about this on Thursday because I want to give more insight to what God is doing. But if we read the narrative, what I hope you end with is that this was not the plan. This isn't it. These are not the kings. These guys are not the kings. We see the story of what's happening between Elijah and the tension between Elijah and Jezebel. We see the tension between Elijah and, and even in God. And Elijah, who's the prophet, has spoken so much truth that now he's facing death. And upon facing death, he finds himself discouraged under a broom tree. <laughs> His discouragement came after great success. Isn't it funny how some of the, our greatest moments of success are followed by our greatest moments of depression? Elijah is profoundly depressed. And he sits under that tree. And man, I can break down so much about what he's saying there. But I want you to hear this one thing. Ready? God meets him in this place of depression. And while he's depressed, God visits him there. He reveals to himself there. But this is what the, this is the interesting part about the text. There's a wind. But the Bible makes it clear God was not in the wind. There was an earthquake. And the scripture makes it clear that God was not in the earthquake. There was a fire and God made it clear in the scripture that he was not in the fire. We see these powerful demonstrations and yet God wasn't in those. Where was he? The scripture says in verse 12, 1 Kings 19, a still small voice. There are many of us today who are in these seasons of depression some of it came after our success. And for many of us, we're waiting for this powerful demonstration of God. When God is saying, I'm speaking in a still small voice, maybe if you would just quiet your spirit, you would hear from me. And what I'm praying for as we close right now is that for many of us who've spoken the word of God or who have been moving in what God's called in. Maybe we're seeing some success, but maybe we're also seeing all the challenges and we find ourselves in a place where we don't know what's next. Maybe we just need to be still. Slow down. Get quiet. Stop running. Turn off your TV. Turn off your laptop. Close all your devices. Just be quiet. Stop trying to come up with the answers. You don't have it. Just be quiet. And let the Lord speak to you in a still small voice. His voice is quiet. It's quiet. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would quiet our spirit. Lord, I feel like you are talking to me today. Lord, with all the things I have going on and with so many things that are happening, Lord, that you're telling me today that I need to slow down and just get quiet. So, Father, Lord, thank you for that word of conviction. Thank you for convicting us, Lord, as we, Lord, seek to do your will, Lord. Lord, in our time where we're down or a time when we're depressed or our time when we feel like we don't know what the next step is for us, Lord, Lord convict us and teach us to just be quiet that we may hear the words from your still and small voice. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen and amen. For those of you who <clears throat> um, are on Patreon, I want to send out the message today to you guys to let you know about when we're doing our Bible study. Um, it will be, I'll give you a heads up, it will be the last Tuesday of this month. It'll be on Tuesday evening, the last Tuesday evening of this month. So I want to encourage you guys to go ahead and set your calendars for that. 
Um, I will be posting the link to that Bible study. I know this isn't a Bible study. This is more of just a reflection. Um, but but I, I do pray um, that um, that you guys will be available. You'll be there. It'll be live, but I'll also save it on there as a, as a bonus episode on our Patreon. I want to say thank you to all my patrons who are supporting. You may think that your support is small, but it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And I'm grateful for each and every one of you um, who are supporting me on Patreon. Um, I will also say this um, tomorrow, and I'll give you guys an update about Thursday, but tomorrow I'm flying out to Philly. So I'll be in Philadelphia in the morning. I have a meeting, actually not in the morning, but I have a meeting, a lunchtime meeting in Philadelphia. And then I have an evening meeting in New York. And so tomorrow I'm going to be preoccupied. I won't be available for the read and rant tomorrow. But um, um, on Thursday, I will be, I will host the read and rant. It'll be at my hotel room, but that's fine. That's why we're here. That's why we do it. Um, I'll be in my hotel room and we'll, we'll do the read and rant on Thursday. I'm flying back on Friday morning. So Thursday will be the next day. I won't be available Friday since I will be um, flying back down on Friday morning. Um, but I do want you guys to uh, keep me in prayer this week. There are a lot of uh, just challenging things that I'm confronting. And so as the Lord was saying, quiet your spirit. Keep me in prayer, guys. I'm praying for you as well. Uh, I, I do want to allot some time, set some time aside for prayer. But, uh, but anyway, just we'll be thinking through those things. But yeah, if you want to become a patron and you're interested in becoming a patron, just click the link in the bio. The first one, the first link in that uh, link is become a patron. Uh, I look forward to your support. It's your support that's opening these doors. I can't wait to have enough patrons where I can just completely push everything else to the side and to just um, host Bible studies every week. So we're planning on moving that. Once we get to a certain threshold of patrons, I'll have the support to be able to focus completely and entirely on Bible study every week. Uh, but for now, we'll do thematic Bible studies. Um, I want to do Bible study on the church. What is the church? Because a lot of us who grew up in church don't actually know what the church is. Um, and so I want to teach on that. Um, the book of Revelation, the, the most misinterpreted book in the Bible, the most misunderstood book in the Bible. I want to bring some insight to that. Um, the book of Ephesians, um, that's another one that I'm interested in doing. Uh, a Bible study about marriage, just doing a Bible study on marriage. What is biblical marriage? These are all cool topics. And I love that my patrons are already sending me ideas. Hey, can you do a Bible study on this? Hey, can you do a Bible study on that? Hey, can you do a teaching on this? Or, hey, can you do, like, I think there was one that someone messaged me about on Patreon. Um, oh, uh, a Bible study on women uh, in the church. And I was like, you know what? I don't think there's enough uh, material out there teaching about women in the church and the role of women in the church. So I think we should definitely do that. Um, we can also do that. And also, uh, there's one, there was another one that was good. Um, oh yeah. Women head coverings. I think we're going to kind of address those like, you know, scripture on, on, on a man covering his head. I know a lot of you, I've had people who message me in love, all others who just message me just to provoke me. But there are those who message in love who say, you shouldn't be doing the reading rant with a hat on um, because the scripture says this, or you shouldn't be, you know, doing Bible study or preaching with a hat on, or you do your prayers in the morning and why don't you take off your hat? Um, sometimes my hat is off. Sometimes my hat is on. I, you know, I literally come here. I show up here. You guys probably noticed that this morning's prayer TikTok is exactly what I'm wearing right now. I literally show up, I record the TikTok and then I go on, on, uh, on, on, on read and read. So, uh, but people have come, you know, and asked, and some people have asked in a loving way, but I realize that there's a, there's a disconnect with biblical understanding. And so, um, maybe we could do some teaching on that because there are those who say, well, women can't preach or women aren't allowed or permitted to preach in the church. And if women can't preach in the church, then, you know, what about the scripture about the women covering their heads when they prophesy. And then they say, well, women have to have their heads covered, but then you see there's a disconnect. You're not, you're not connecting it. You see how those two things that you're saying, they, they conflict with each other. Um, and so hopefully we could do a Bible study on that just on head coverings. Uh, but anyway, um, thank you so much, Meek Meek. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by all of you. I love all of you so much, guys. Your words of encouragement, your prayers mean so much, y'all. 
Uh, also, I think one thing I want to do with, and I'm always scared to do this, but one thing I also do, and I think I'll plan on doing maybe not next month, but the month after, is I may do a monthly uh, talk to pastor. And and basically what that would be is just a Q&A. And that, that always scares me because, you know, someone may ask a question that I don't have an answer to. But here's what I will say, though, is um, I, I've always done this, even in our Bible studies that I that I do in person um, with people that I'm closely uh, discipling, is when they ask questions, I am not afraid to say, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to get it for you. Um, we are on a journey together. Um, I've been I've done this now for about 12 years. So at the beginning, I didn't have very many answers. I have a lot more answers now than I did, you know, uh, 12 years ago. But there are times when people have asked questions that I don't know the answer to. And I and and what I say to them is, now that you've asked that question, give me a week. Next week, I'm going to come back with the answer because I take my I take your questions very, very seriously. And I'm not going to give an answer that I'm not entirely certain or confident of. Uh, but I love the talk to pastor sessions because people ask questions and it helps give them insight. And it's just wide open. Just ask questions about anything. And so um, I think I might do that also on Patreon. I'm thinking about that maybe in the next two weeks to do that. But anyway, you're going to hear some new things soon. But guys, love you guys. God bless you. Um, I'm so happy you guys have read through the entire New Testament. We're reading through the entire New Old Testament. And I will see you not tomorrow, but on Thursday. All right. I may jump on for fun at the airport, maybe, and just connect with you guys while I wait to get on the plane. But love you all. God bless you. See you soon.